He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have Ty McCoy, the former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. What's really going on with Russia and the Ukraine? We have Congressman Jason Smith, the Ways and Means Committee. Nothing happens in Congress without him. Dr. Peter Michalos, how are we going to live longer? We have Gordon Chang, what's going on in the Far East, and... Andrew Cuomo, he'll be on towards the end of our show on what common sense Democrats should be thinking about what's going on in our city, state, and country. What is today is Congressman Jason Smith and runs the most powerful committee in Congress. The most powerful committee in Congress, Ways and Means. Run, you know, he'll tell us about what it does, taxes and, and everything else. And he's from the great state of Missouri. Congressman, welcome to WABC. Thanks for having me, John. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be up here with you. Well, there's so many things happening in Congress. Uh, Missouri is a great state. I, I used to go uh, to Kansas City all the time uh, with uh, my friend Nelson. Um, we ran uh, Capital Airlines out of uh, Smyrna, Tennessee, Nashville. So we were just not too far away. Uh, there's so many problems going on in the world. Uh, let's start. What, what, do you th- what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? I'll tell you, the policy is that uh, this administration continues to try to push forward. Um, if you just look at tax policy, of course, all tax policy originates from the House Ways and Means Committee. No tax increase or tax decrease can happen unless it comes to our committee, and that's by the Constitution. Um, I can tell you a few months back, setting before President Biden's State of the Union address, and he just kept going one after another tax increase. In fact, $4.7 trillion in tax increases he proposed. And I sat there and I thought, you know what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen under Speaker McCarthy and the House Republicans' leadership. And that is the last recipe that we could possibly use in this current economy. We've been doing these field hearings throughout the country, whether it was in West Virginia or Oklahoma or Georgia. Tomorrow we're having one here in Staten Island. What we have learned from people is that they're barely making it. They're barely getting by in this current economy with the price of inflation – the inflation's gone up over – I mean it's gone up 14.9 percent since Joe Biden's taken the oath of office, and that is costing every American two of their month's salary. Joe Biden, President Biden, now give him the respect, said that he's going to help the poor and the middle class. And the people that it costs the most to, the people that are suffering is the poor and the middle class. And as I said, when he, when he hurt the price of oil, 
and oil went to $120 a barrel and caused all the food inflation. A trillion dollars worth of wealth moved from North America to where? Russia and the OPEC nations and made the American, the poor poorer and it hurt the middle class. I'll tell you, the district that I represent in southeast Missouri is the ninth poorest congressional district out of 435. My family um, is a working class family. My dad was an auto mechanic and a minister and my mom worked in a factory. That those individuals are the ones that's struggling the absolute most because it's costing more to put food on their table, clothes on their backs, and gasoline in their cars. And it's clearly because of the policies that was implemented in his first hundred days. His first hundred days, the executive orders and the war on US energy, that that led to inflation. Plus, inflation was one point four percent in his first month in office. Then he did these executive orders, changed the policies, spent $2 trillion in the American Rescue Plan that was supposed to be to battle COVID, but less than 9% was actually healthcare spending. The rest went to pay people not to work and, and to reward political friends and allies and donors. It's, it's maddening. But what did the American people get? They got higher prices. They got poorer. I mean, that's what they got. I mean, uh, the price of food is higher, higher than ever, and the price of gasoline is higher than ever. I mean, it seems like uh, every time gasoline tries to come down, uh, I know about six weeks ago it tried to come down to $65 a barrel, and what did the Saudis do? They, they cut production because Russia and, and the OPEC nations, guess what? They want $100 oil. But they're not getting punished with $100 oil. You know why? Because the Pakistanis, the in India, all the other are buying oil from Russia at a discount. So they don't care what the price of oil is because they don't pay that price. But the American people, they're getting hurt. They're getting hurt. But we were talking about the cost of inflation, the cost of price of goods going up. But because of inflation, we've now seen interest rates um, increase 11 times in just over a year at 5.25%. So that's costing, it's killing the country. It's costing everyone more because right now people are having to put on their credit cards things that they can't pay, and now the interest rates are going higher. So they're, just their quality of life is decreasing. Congressman, what they did with the interest rates going up, it went up five points in, in, in 12 months. It wiped out the real estate industry. It hurt it. There's no construction going on, less and less and less. And would you give up your mortgage at 3% interest to, to get a new mortgage at a different house for 7%? Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. And then on top of that, the value of the bonds in, in, the, in the banks went down. The value of the real estate in the banks went down. So the banks are in trouble. And since the bankers, banks are in trouble, you know the next shoe that hasn't fallen yet? The banks are not lending to anybody. So middle America, where you're from, guess what? Businesses, the farms, they, want, they need money from the banks. Well, they're not going to be able to give it out. And that's going to affect our strategic supply chains. We have to make sure as a nation that we are secured when it comes to our food supply, our energy supply, and our health care. And if it's making harder for those farmers in middle America to grow their crops, we're going to have a shortage in other aspects when it means food supply. We should not have to worry about our food supply from other countries. It should be within our own boundaries here. Absolutely correct. Last issue. 
last issue, 87,000 IRS uh, workers and none, no, no agents at all for oh, 300 agents for the borders. Don't you think it should be a better balanced equation? I think we we should definitely not have the 87,000 IRS agents. You're talking about doubling the size of the IRS. And for what purpose? To keep more command and control over your lives. To watch every I and every T, every I being dotted, every T being crossed. They're going to be looking underneath your couch cushions, looking to make sure if you have a couple pennies there or not. And, and this proposal that the IRS has right now, that any $600 inflow or outflow of your PayPal or Venmo, you're now going to have to have a W-2 form. That's crazy. It's just so the IRS will know more of your information to be able to track everything that you're doing. You know who they want? The IRS wants every waiter. Every cab driver that gets a, a cash tip, that's who they want. Because the billionaires, I mean, if you, there's only a thousand billionaires in, in the country, what are you going to do with a thousand billionaires? A thousand IRS agents, what do you do with the other 86,000? Well, congressmen, fight hard for our country because it's going to be the end of our country if, if we don't put our country back in the right direction. And 2026 is the 250th year, I believe of our country. Let's make sure we do the right thing by 2026. Thank you, John. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Congressman. It's the Cats Roundtable. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, and he's our in-house uh, uh, scientist, historian, medical advisor. Uh, and uh, Dr. Michalos, uh, what do you think is the crisis we should talk about today? Well, I think a major crisis in the United States is mental health and mental illness. In 2023, 21% of adults have experienced at least one bout of mental illness. It's been reported, and that's 50 million people. That's a lot of people. And 55% are not getting them treatment. And we're seeing how that's playing out on the streets of various cities around the country. And, uh, you know, people always talk about um, gun deaths and homicides. But, you know, I was also surprised to learn that six in 10 of these uh, deaths by gun, and they try to say that they're all murders, it's actually six in 10 are by suicide. And uh, the other interesting statistic is that only 3% of crimes that are committed with a handgun are committed with legally obtained guns. And the other thing is that, you know, we have five and a half million people in the USA with mental illness that don't have any insurance. And while we're sending money all over the place and around the world, we really need help with uh, uh, mental uh, illness. And I think that's very, very important. And, uh, we also know that 4.84% of adults have suicidal thoughts in the United States. That's 12.1 million people, with uh, Georgia being one of the happier states with the lowest uh, suicidal thoughts, and Utah being one of the highest, which also surprised me as well. And um, we also have 15.35% uh, people in the United States have admitted to substance abuse. That's another thing. And 6.82% of adults have admitted to illicit drug use disorder, and that's a lot. And this also shocked me that 10.96% of adults in the United States are alcoholics. That's a lot of people. 
and uh, and 93 percent of them are estimated not to be actively uh, getting treatment. So, uh, and one of the highest states with substance abuse happens to be Washington D.C. So uh, that was also fascinating. But the, the, now let's talk about some of the solutions and how to help people. One of the big things that happens is people forget to think of organic reasons that people can have medical uh, issues uh, like mental illness. And uh, one of the things is that, especially teenagers, the CDC just put out that there's an alarm and crisis with uh, depression, anxiety in teenage women. And one of the things they need to screen for is things like toxicology screen, which uh, checks for drugs, because many kids say, I don't do drugs, I don't do drugs. But eventually, the kids get tested and they find out that, yes, they are because they're, they're drug dealers. They're lurking around high schools and even elementary maybe, schools. Maybe, maybe we should do uh, – uh, we, maybe we could solve the problem, a part of the problem, by doing drug tests in high schools. Uh, that way, uh, if, if a kid has a problem, maybe we could help him because before it becomes a problem. Absolutely. Inter- early intervention would be a great thing, just like here in New York. If we had each borough had a uh, health center instead of uh, building all these different things or filling up hotels with, uh, uh, with uh, people that the state has to pay for, you just have health centers. In that health center, you come in, you'd be screened by a social worker or a psychologist. Then you would get the treatment you'd need. You'd get to see a psychiatrist, and also people would get the medical screening which includes the toxicology screen, things like folate levels, your B12 levels, your hormone levels. There are even uh, RNA biomarkers that they're finding are associated with, uh, with the mental illness. We now know that there's even tests you can do genetically. There's a company, Nebula Genomics, that you can analyze your DNA, and it tells you your genetic risk to bipolar disorder and other mental disorders. A lot of those people I in my career i saw two people who were having mental problems and eye problems they ended up having syphilis and all they needed was some penicillin because that actually gets into your brain too people with hypothyroidism low thyroid that can also affect mental illness and cause a uh, depression we need to alter our priority portfolio in the united states to give serious attention to psychiatric care and help young psychiatric residents to get housing to help them uh, with their loans because they're severely in debt so that they choose that specialty and start getting a lot of these people uh, help. And we need compassion towards the people with mental health problems so they don't go out and commit violent crimes and domestic abuse and child abuse. And that will be very helpful because it's a national security issue because with all this substance abuse and mental health, we don't, we're, we're going to have trouble, we're having trouble recruiting a standing volunteer army. So we have to look at it as a national security issue and pay closer attention to mental health in America. And that's why people li- need to listen to WABC to get the truth of what's happening and then go out there, talk to your congressmen, your representatives, and advocate for some of these things. Well, doctor, I mean, uh, as far as we're, I live in New York here and, and the, the homeless on the streets, a, a large percentage of them are uh, are people that need to institution institutionalized because of uh, of uh, mental illness, and the other half of them is you know who the other half uh, the the vets. Just even for vets who served our country honorably, and even for law enforcement who go through a lot of 
dramatic event. There should be more uh, hotlines that way people can call and get help and get seen, even on a weekend or a holidays before something terrible happens, before they hurt themselves or start thinking about hurting other people. Because when someone's not mentally well, they usually lash out among the people around them and sometimes even people that they've loved all their lives. Because a lot of murders, for example, happen within families and close quarters. So mental health needs to be a priority, and we're going to continue to advocate that and talk about it on WABC. And uh, we've got to push for thank, mental, thank regional you. mental health centers. Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you for your, uh, uh, your wisdom, and thank you for filling in all New Yorkers, all Americans, and God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, John, and thank you for giving us all the microphone to get the truth out. With us today on Mother's Day is Ty McCoy. Ty McCoy was the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force uh, under Ronald Reagan and a uh, West Point graduate and loves America. And uh, Ty McCoy, uh, what are you seeing now uh, going on in Europe or Asia? Or uh, Give us your evaluation. Well, Katz, it's great to be with you, as always, and your team and your guests. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss this with you. It's so vital and so important. And what I'm seeing right now at the macro level, I would say that the war will continue for a lot longer, since politically neither Russia or Ukraine or their backers can step down to due to domestic politics, and it can't look like a loser. So despite the desire of many to stop the war due to destruction, humanitarian issues, and dangers of nuclear war— there doesn't really seem to be the off-ramp that anybody can take. The biggest winners so far are the Chinese, and the biggest losers are the Russians mortgaging their future. The second biggest uh, winner is NATO, which has come together to uh, try and push back on this uh, Russian aggression. And uh, the second biggest loser is France, having gone to uh, Beijing. Macron kind of double-crossed uh, NATO and uh, took up with the Chinese and talked about autonomy for, for France and uh, seemed to be pulling away in the direction of the Chinese, who are, of course, in support of the Russians. The Russians don't have the machines, generals, or combat cohesion and skills to win, and the Ukrainians don't have the men, but they have better men. They don't have the machines, but they have better machines. So each side keeps looking for an escalatory advantage that the other cannot match easily to gain advantage to force some success and then negotiations. I think it's a and, 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 and Ty, what I found, what yeah. I try to find out is I think both sides are, are lying, to, you know, tremendously. I mean, you can't believe what Russia says, and you really can't believe what the Ukrainians say. No, you can't. They are both uh, grew up in a, a culture in the Soviet Union uh, of disinformation, uh, the security services uh, are, have a long uh, record of um, uh, deceit, uh, oppression, uh, going back to Tsarist times when, when both countries were part of the, the Tsarist empire. And so the, uh, both sides uh, are, are trying to, to fool each other, and they also don't even really trust their allies. The Russians don't trust the Chinese and others, and, and the Ukrainians don't really trust some of the, uh, the countries in NATO uh, who were trying to guide and, and to uh, restrain them uh, from recovering, you know, all the Ukrainian territory they want. So there's going to be a lot of disinformation, misinformation, and misleading things that are going to happen. Um, 
the Russians are having a bit of success at the at the very geostrategic level uh, using the BRICS countries, uh, Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, uh, to try and win the global south. They have also pulled Macron away from NATO a bit uh, and trying to get him to team up with uh, the Chinese and uh, to uh, talk about strategic autonomy for France. Uh, and so this was really um, a very bad development. Uh, the French generals, I'm told, were extremely upset, uh, and the French people were very upset with Macron, who sort of went off on an ego trip uh, trying to talk to Xi in Beijing, and he is very uh, disliked as a result of that and is really uh, taking a, a beating. I think he's really caused a lot of alarm on the part of uh, the Ukrainians uh, as, as they are worried about he will try and uh, pull NATO apart uh, and, and not have NATO backing them very well. Um, the uh, Russians do not have the generals and, and the, the uh, equipment to really prosecute the war to a victory. The Ukrainians, while they have better men and, and better machines, they have to wait for more modern equipment and deep strike artillery in order to prosecute a real counteroffensive because the Russians have dug huge trenches and huge uh, barriers and set up, uh, in some cases, uh, trenches that are eight deep. So they, they're really preparing for a World War I trench warfare system. And the if you go on the offensive, you generally need three or four to one in terms of uh, troop strength. And you also suffer very, very high casualties in, in, in such a trench warfare uh, situation unless you can achieve uh, very large amounts of armor and artillery in order to break through the trench system and try and circle uh, the defenders. So right now, so, uh, the way I have tied the way I look at it, it's the Chinese that are orchestrating everything. So China is causing all these situations, and they're also moving to try to to make their their currency more relevant and the dollar less relevant. You see any any progress in that, or is it just Mickey Mouse? I think there's some progress in it. They are getting uh, this alliance of uh, countries in the global south, uh, the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. They're trying to find a way to uh, create um, interfaces and, and connect the pipes, uh, the financial pipes that will allow for uh, buying and selling in the international marketplace using the Chinese currency. Uh, I think that still they they don't quite have the credibility and they don't quite have the, the machinery and the plumbing in place to, to do that. Uh, the famous Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically a debt trap, the Chinese come into a country and loan them a lot of money uh, to build things, uh, which they don't build very well, and the Chinese uh, are saying when you can't win the country, such as Pakistan and and others can't pay the debt back, we want your ports, we want your airfields, we want all kind of special rights. And um, so the Chinese are, are making, uh, making and, and the some World progress Bank, trying to use that. And the World Bank cannot help them because China owns 20% of the World Bank and they would veto the transaction. Yeah, the Chinese are are, are uh, 
you know, they have a permanent seat on the, on the Security Council, as does Russia. They can veto anything. They have seats and, and commitments in the World Bank. So they're using uh, all of their influence. They control uh, very much. A lot of people think the World Health Organization, which is now proposing regulations, which uh, people in Congress are up in arms about, that yeah. the World Health Organization can issue directives uh, that will override all sovereign uh, powers, that when they tell you to take a shot or stay at home, or if, if there's a public health danger like guns or uh, trips to the mall, that uh, countries would have to uh, abide by the directives of the World Health Organization, which is just another supranational uh, arm uh, and part of the we, United Nations. Basically Ty, we're almost out of time. Sovereignty. Ty, we're out of time, but I just okay. wanted to make a point. We are in a world war. The good news is we're not shooting each other with nuclear bombs, but we're doing it economically and in many other ways, like you said, the World Health Organization. And uh, let's pray for America. Thank you for your input, telling the American people what's really going on, and we'll catch up again real soon. Sounds great. Great to talk with you this morning. Thank you. Cut. Thank you. Thank you, Ty. God bless. We're we're in a world war, but it's an economic world war right now and, and a cultural world war you know it is it's cultural it's uh proxy war it's economic it's it's spying it's uh commerce uh you know it's uh disinformation propaganda uh weaponizing uh like they weaponize all these immigrants they, they got them flooding in over the southern border there's gonna be there's gonna be people camping out uh all over new york a lot more than they are right now they're, they're governor abbott's busting them up here to washington dc so we're going to have, I mean, we've got the equivalent of of uh, the population of two cities of, of the size of Los Angeles that have come over the border uh, in, in the last uh, five, six years. Yeah, yeah. So where are they going right. to go? You know, what I'll are they going to do? Who's going to feed something? Sounds thanks, good. Guys. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks, John. Goodbye. This is the Cats Roundtable. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. You're a great American. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. With us today is Gordon Chang, and uh, he's going to give us his evaluation of what the heck is going on in the Far East, China. And there's so many things going on in the world. Uh, Gordon Chang, tell us what the heck is going on. The most significant thing that we have seen recently is that Reuters report that said that the Biden State Department actually um, started to not impose sanctions, export controls, and other measures that they were planning to put in place because they didn't want to raise the tensions after the Chinese spy balloon incident. In other words, what China did was to grossly violate our sovereignty 
and also get the State Department to not impose costs on China, which is exactly the opposite of the way our diplomacy should work. What do you think is the right thing? What's going on? I mean, you, you think that's what uh, that's what uh, the White House is thinking? Well, the right thing to do would be to impose those costs for China violating our sovereignty, um, because we don't want Beijing to do that again. But unfortunately, what the Blinken State Department did was actually to encourage China to engage in even more provocative behavior, because what it did was it emboldened and legitimized the worst elements in Beijing by showing everybody else that aggression works. So what we're doing is opening the door for more provocative actions on the part of the Chinese. Hopefully we'll never be in a world war that's actually shooting uh, things. Where do we go? What's the next step? The next step on the part of the Biden administration, at least as they see it, is try to establish dialogue and channels of communication. So, for instance, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was in Vienna for 10 hours of meetings with China. Um, This was just disclosed uh, yesterday. And I think they're trying to get a phone call between uh, President Biden and Xi Jinping. Um, But right now, at this point, I think that what we need to do is to start imposing those costs and and not appear desperate to communicate, because China looks at at communication and and as granting it as a favor to the United States. That's not the way we should look at it. Communication benefits both sides, but we should not give China the notion that we will make concessions to talk to us. Yeah, I mean, we we don't want to beg anybody. I mean... uh... Uh, It it seems like uh, China is uh, using Russia to start their own empire, you know, uh, using Russia's resources on oil and uh, tying it into, uh, uh, well, well, let's put it this way, Russia's uh, oil and Saudi Arabia's oil and using it to make good deals for uh, Pakistan, India, and uh, some other countries around the world and putting putting an alliance together. Uh, who is a, who would you consider at this point as a member of the Chinese alliance? Yeah, the, the new axis would be China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Algeria, um, the Wagner Group in, in Sudan. Um, what we are seeing is China try to stitch together this coalition. And you have to remember that this echoes what the President Trump tried to do in the first months of his administration, which was to make sure the U.S. pumped oil and gas and that lower the cost for Americans, and as well as to use oil and gas um, sales to others as leverage to accomplish American foreign policy aims. So the Chinese are doing what um, President Trump tried to do and what Biden actually has rejected doing. So how many nations do you think uh, are more... I hate to say it this way, more loyal to, to, to China or concerned about their relationships with China, more so than their relationships with Washington? Well, you know, I, I think that probably there are a lot of countries right now that are embarrassed by their relations with Russia, um, and they are intimidated by China. So they want to maintain good relations with Beijing because they don't want the Chinese to impose costs on them. That's a growing block. Um, And indeed, I think there are a lot of countries that are much more concerned about their relations with the Chinese than they are with us because we don't impose those costs. 
um, to try to get what we want. And that means that countries just take us for granted. Understood. Uh, what else would you like to tell the American people? It's Sunday morning. It's Mother's Day. Uh, uh, people, you know, they're sitting around waiting to have a l- either lunch or dinner with their moms. Um, and they're wondering which way is our country going? Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, we are now at a critical point because China is making fast advances. Uh and we have not seen such a rapid collapse in America's standing in our lifetimes. And that's largely because the Biden administration is pursuing um, policies that injure the United States and in many cases align with Chinese foreign policy goals. So, of course, Beijing is making a lot of progress. And this means that our country is in jeopardy. Gordon Chang and your Twitter address is is at Gordon G. Chang, and people can stay in touch with you 24-7. And thank you very much for keeping us informed, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you so much, John, and and happy Mother's Day to your family as well. Thank you very much, and thank you to your family. It's the Cats Roundtable. American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Enlists the support of business leaders, elected officials. Katz and Matitas rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Katz a native New Yorker. Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Katz and this, this is the Katz Roundtable. With us today is former Governor Andrew Cuomo, and uh, he wanted this opportunity today on Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day, uh, Governor Cuomo. You, you have a great mom. Um, to talk to the people of our country. Um, Governor Cuomo, there's so many things happening in our country, in our city, our state, our country. Uh, where would you like to start? Uh, well, first, John, let me say uh, to all the mothers who are listening, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we appreciate them every day of the year, but this is the one day that we we make it a special uh, a special event. So happy Mother's Day. I'm going to be with my mother, uh, and uh, we're going to have a good day. I think, John, probably the most pressing issue today is the issue of the migrants, what's happening on the southern border. Uh, that is a, a real debacle. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, and it's it, it, to me, it is an aspirational aspirational principle meets a practical reality, right? In theory, everybody wants to believe this is America's Statue of Liberty. We open our arms. We invite everyone in. Uh, in practicality, that is impossible. Uh, when I was governor of the Socialists, wanted to cancel rent. Nobody should have to pay rent. I said, that's a beautiful idea. Nobody pays rent. But somebody has to pay for the electric and the heat and the mortgage, et cetera. So you have a beautiful idea that's just practically impossible. And what has happened here is two problems. Number one, because the word was Biden was going to reverse the Trump policy, for months you have had people traveling to the border from uh, all sorts of countries, much broader than ever before. It's not just Mexico. It's Colombia, it's Cuba, it's Nicaragua, Peru. I spoke to migrants 
who uh, are in New York City now, three-month trip from El Salvador when they heard President Biden was going to open the border. So you have this whole backup at the border, uh, and now you had this Title 42 expire, which was the only thing holding the floodgates back, right? The second problem is there was no plan as to what to do with the people who you would let in. Welcome, everyone. Okay, but you need room at the end, John. Where are they going to stay? Who's going to pay? Me and you believe in immigration. Your family were immigrants uh, uh, back to your grandfather, I guess, and my family back to my grandfather's. Uh, But the rules that we always had, there had to be some checks and balances to know who's coming in. There has to be checks and balances. There has to be a program to go with the policy. You have to know, before you invite people into the country, you have to know that you have the resources to handle it. Uh, And they didn't. And now what the Republican governors did was despicable. I mean, I get their point. Uh, But what uh, Texas did and Florida did, sending immigrants around the country like they were pawns, were really uh, despicable. But their point was, you're overwhelming the border states, right? Uh, and it's gotten to a point where it's, it's overwhelmed cities all across the country. You look at New York City now, John. Uh, what's happening to New York City and Mayor Eric Adams, uh, he, it's one of the major problems that the mayor has, which is really bizarre, since immigration is not his problem. It's President Biden's problem. It's Governor Hochul's problem. But it's not his problem. Uh, I think the mayor uh, did a good job in in pointing it out that the president president's uh, policy isn't working. I hope they didn't punish him politically, as has been reported, because that would really be uh, a, a, a very poor showing on this White House. Uh, but I think Mayor Adams has to make, do a better job of making the state take responsibility. You know, uh, New York City is not a sanctuary city. New York State is a sanctuary state. These people are not coming to New York City. They're coming to New York State. Uh, it's not Mayor Adams' problem to find out whether or not they should go to Orange or Rockland County. It's a state problem. All those state legislators and the assembly people and the senators love to give speeches. We welcome everyone. We're a sanctuary state. Yeah, now people showed up uh, and the state legislature disappeared. And the state government disappeared. If I'm Mayor Adams, I say, by the way, they didn't come into New York City. You know where they come in? Uh, where's the entry point, John, if you come in by bus or by plane? You come into the Port Authority. The Port Authority is a state agency, not a New York City agency. So I would say, if I'm Mayor Adams, New York State, here they are. And you figure out how to disperse them across the state proportionately. Let everybody do their proportionate share, because we are a sanctuary state and we were proud of it. Uh, But he has to be willing to uh, say it directly to the state, because this is just mayhem. But it's it's out of control. I mean, this was meant that for sanctuary policy, for people that had a problem, if there was a problem in Venezuela, we want to help the people. If there was a problem in Panama, we want to help the people. We, we didn't, I don't think this was meant to have a free-for-all. 
It, it, it never was. And the immigration policy has never been. You had the confluence of two situations here. You have had many countries that have economic problems, political problems, so they're generating more people who want to leave. Uh, and then uh, Biden reversed Trump's policy, which was a more controlled border. I support Biden theoretically, but practically, you want to open the border. There have to be controls and there has to be a plan. You're going to bring in several hundred thousand people on amnesty complaints. Remember what these these people come and they're claiming amnesty, which means they enter the country and it's now pending their amnesty hearing, which means they have to have a lawyer and there has to be a court date. And this can be two years. And where are they going to be for two years? And I've literally gone and interviewed uh, migrants who have come. We have them sitting in motels. Uh, we're paying for the motel. We're paying for the food. Uh, some of them don't even have a court date. Some of them, the court date is two years away. They don't have a lawyer. And they can't work, John. So you're going to tell somebody, sit on the bed for two years. We'll pay for the motel. We'll pay to feed you. We'll have to find you a lawyer. You're not allowed to work. I mean, it's just, uh, it's terribly uh, mad. It doesn't make any and sense at all. No, 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 it doesn't. So, uh, I mean, uh, we're stuck on this right now. Uh, right now, unless, uh, well, it's the president's decision. Uh, can If Senator Schumer j- jumps up along with the Congress, I mean, well, I guess we can do something. Of course we can do something. Look, this, this sense that we have in this country now that we are incapable of acting. Uh, oh, uh, it's just the politics is so hard. Where did this come from? This is America. We, were, we won world wars. We built the greatest buildings in the world, the greatest bridges in the world. There's nothing that we can't do. We have this air of defeatism. Uh, oh, it's beyond us. Well, it's it seems like Biden. the common sense Democrats are not wanting to go. If the common sense Democrats sat down with the common sense Republicans, I think we could come up with solutions. Look, if you, yes, it's the common sense. Reasonable people can come up with solutions. I had a Republican Senate, John. Democratic Assembly, Republican Senate, uh, for many, many years. And we passed the budget on time every year. We built LaGuardia Airport. We built roads. We built bridges. We did more for this state than had been done by any administration in modern history. Because you be reasonable. Now, we have a lack of reasonableness. We have a far right and a far left that want to hear themselves talk more than they want to actually do the people's business. But this issue, this issue, this is President Biden. This is the Democrats in the Senate and the House. They can change a policy where the flow of people coming in meets our ability to provide the resources. That's what this is all about. The Republican governors should stop playing politics and sending people all across the board. Uh, 
the cities, Mayor Adams, call up Governor Hochul and the legislature and say, this is not a city problem. It's a state problem. And come down here and pick up these people and disperse them across the state. Nassau, you take some. Suffolk, you take some. Buffalo, you take some. And cities all across the nation have to do that. Uh, but that this is a doable issue, right? We're not trying to cure cancer here in a week, John. This is a floodgate. It's a border crossing. And then it's a people management issue. We know how to do this. We just have to do it. Uh, understood. Uh, there's so many other things. That, that's one of the biggest problems we have, the migration on the border uh, uh, of the Rio Grande and the migration coming into New York City. Now, uh, other, other, other situations uh, uh, that exist. Uh, what else uh, would you... Congestion pricing. All of a sudden... You know, Manhattan, you know Manhattan well. You've lived here uh, quite a bit. Uh, Manhattan is in trouble. Half the stores are empty. And this congestion pricing in Manhattan is going to add another uh, nail to the coffin. John, I was the HUD secretary, Housing and Urban Development, under Bill Clinton. What HUD did was it managed cities uh, all across the nation. Cities are fragile equations. They can tip. I believe we're in the midst of an urban crisis, and we don't even realize it in this country. Post-COVID, there are new rules, and you don't have to be in a city. If you can work anywhere you want, remote work, live anywhere you want, work anywhere you want. And that's especially for, true for people at the higher income spectrum. And the higher income spectrum is where they pay the taxes. So you have to want to live in a city. And if a city is dirty, if a city is crime-ridden, if it has homeless, if it has high taxes, I'm leaving. I'm not going to pay more to suffer. Uh, Governor, 484,000 people have left New York State in the the last 24 months, and the average salaries of the ones that left is $148,000. Yes, How are we going to rich, pay for the budget? The richer people are more mobile. They can uh, more easily do remote work. And they are leaving, John, because they're wealthy enough to come back to the city a few times a year and enjoy what they want to enjoy. Uh, and I don't think the politicians get it. You're raising taxes on people now, this past budget. They just raised taxes on on companies in New York City. Why don't you just force them out of the city? It would be faster. Uh, So this is the last thing they should be doing now is increasing taxes. You want to say the exact opposite. Uh, One really egregious problem. Donald Trump changed the tax code and eliminated what was called state and local tax deductibility, basically doubled the taxes in New York and effectively doubled taxes in Democratic states across the country by not allowing the the deductibility. So you pay your state tax and then you pay federal tax on your state tax, right? It's a tax on a tax. The Democrats promised every one of them 
that they would repeal it as soon as Trump was out of office. You know what they've done? Six years later, nothing. 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 If they just repealed SALT, it would be a major boon to these democratic places that are now hemorrhaging people. If they just lived up to their word once, uh, and just you even go back and look at what all of Schumer and Nadler and Biden and Gillibrand and uh, Democratic Republic, uh, Democratic senators and Congress people all across the nation, they all promised, don't worry, we'll repeal it. Yeah. Game on us for believing you. Uh, we got about a few more minutes, and I want to cover some things. Um, I mean, the state did not pass uh, the program that uh, allowed real estate developers to develop more property in New York with uh, tax credits. And so the construction industry between high interest rates and no incentives is, is coming to a halt. They made a bad situation worse. Number one reason why people are leaving cities, uh, lack of affordable housing. Uh, and uh, we have no affordable housing plan. And what's ridiculous is we could have solved two problems with one move, John. You have large-scale commercial vacancies, which is going to be a major problem. Office space is not coming back the way it was. Everybody gets that now. Cities all across the country. On Mondays oh, and Fridays, Governor, you could roll bowling balls up 6th Avenue and up 3rd Avenue. Yes. I've been trying to t- tell the business leaders, let everybody insist, everybody come back five days a week, but uh, they don't want to do that. So you have an abundance of vacant commercial space. That could bankrupt buildings. It could bankrupt banks. Convert the commercial space to residential space. Do what you need to do. Change the zoning. Provide subsidies. Something has to be done. You're right. Thanks for listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatsroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast. Get those segments that you missed. Have a nice Sunday. This is the Cats Roundtable. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. See.